Look, I don't remember if this podcast has bad language in it or not, but just to be on the safe side, let's say it does. I added one more podcast to the giant podcast bin. Now you have plucked that podcast out and started listening. I took my microphone and found some human folk. Then I recorded all the noises while we spoke. My name is Adam Buxton, I'm a man I want you to enjoy this, that's the plan Hello, Adam Buxton here How are you doing listeners? Thank you very much for joining me for podcast number 25 And as you've probably surmised This podcast features more conversations with actor, writer and director Richard Ayoade recorded in between filming bits and pieces for his TV show Travel Man, which uh, I was a guest on back in May this year. Do you remember May 2016? I mean, it seemed pretty shit at the time, didn't it? But now, it's like the good old days. It was gravy. We didn't have any problems back in May. Anyway, Richard, uh, the first convo chunk of uh, today's episode was recorded by Lisbon's Tower of Belém, a beautiful spot down by the Rio Tajo, where tourists and uh, the makers of travel shows wander around on the promenade there by the tower, soaking up the sun and uh, taking photographs and being serenaded by buskers. You can probably hear a couple of them uh, while Richard and I are, are talking in the first bit. And from there, we got into a van to travel to the next location. And uh, while in the van, we continued podcasting. You know, no matter how bad things get, you've got to continue podcasting, don't you? Um, And I was leading the discussion at that point on the important subject of pillows. Oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness someone has finally had the courage to step up and deal with the whole pillow situation. Yeah? Thanks very much, Buckles. You're welcome. And just to set the scene for that conversation, Richard was in the front seat of the van, the passenger seat. I was in the back next to Rachel, the AP, uh, Sam, the sound man, and Nicola, the director, who had lost her voice at that point. Uh, I've forgotten the name of the driver. No disrespect to the driver. He was great, brilliant driving, and uh, seemed like a terrific person. Um, And very good looking. I should say, though, that the whole podcast is not just me talking to Richard about pillows, although it may seem like that, because it goes on for around 15 minutes or so. But it's a fascinating, incisive, literally incisive, as you'll discover, chat about pillows. Um, But uh, we also talk later on in the podcast about uh, some more of Richard's big moments. And we had a couple of conversations about the good and the bad side of being a Woody Allen fan. So, uh, yeah, that gets fairly involved towards the end of the podcast, as you'll hear. But first, back to the sunny promenade around the Tower of Belém in Lisbon and a brief chat before Richard was called away to do 
some more of the kind of uh, TV presenting that has previously seen him and his show, Travel Man, and the, and the brilliant people that put the show together, nominated for a BAFTA. It's quite a moving thing to watch, let me tell you. Here we go. you do last night because we had three hours off before our night shoot yes so what do you do in a hotel room you don't have to say like absolutely everything you do in a hotel room well I read a little bit and do you sleep all right in hotels no I like to not be away from home so much well are, are kind you of ever. a pillow queen I had a coronation ceremony with a pillow yeah i get very queenie about pillows sometimes you can get a very high pillow and it feels like you're sleeping on a stepladder or something yeah they weren't the worst pillows but they were high pillows these were four foot high pillows that we had in the hotel in lisbon yeah yeah they were pretty high i mean don't you find that uncomfortable i I feel like i'm getting a crick it was a tiny bit uncomfortable but it seems um you know i don't know whether it'll make the national press our pillow discomfort I don't know. I think it's important. It is important. Um, because if it's happening to people as important as us... Oh, I don't even think. It's happening to a lot of other people who don't have a podcast. Can you imagine? And can't get these issues out there. There aren't people without podcasts in this day and age, <laughs> Very there? few. No, surely. In America once, um, in California, where well, we were staying just outside Disneyland, the pillows were so massive there that I was driven to... Bigger than the bed. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot taller than the bed, yeah. Massive. You couldn't get into the room. It was just all pillow. <laughs> oh, look, well, you've see? Been called. Right, I have to you do the, some I'll tell stuff. you the end of the pillow story. I don't forget that story. OK. have to stare forward because my motion sickness I'm not being imperious no no so the pillow in our rooms in this Disneyland hotel was so massive and stuffed absolutely stuffed with Disney dreams with dreams and excitement that it was impossible to actually sleep on them and there was no there was nothing smaller or slimmer right and I couldn't sleep I was being driven mad and I and I needed something this is a harrowing story I thought about stuffing clothes yes. inside the pillowcase, and I did that one evening, and that wasn't any good. So I thought, right, I'm going to have to take radical steps. So what did you do? I stabbed the pillow, Come and I pulled it. out the stuffing. But that's damaging Disney property. I know it is. It's vandalism. You pulled out the, lo- the stuffing? Yeah, I pulled out about half or three-quarters of the stuffing, 
oh, before crumbs. the pillow became like a decent actual moldable pillow that, that would support my head and be comfortable. That and then I like I, a kind I, of murder. I had to. I really did. It felt like a bad crime, and it is technically, isn't it? That's no good. Yeah. I felt like I'd been driven to it, and then I had to secrete the innards in a bin bag and sneak them out because I didn't want to get busted by the. That is. That's like a Cone Brothers scene. What did you do? Bury it. <laughs> Bury it deep in the ground. No, I sneaked it out and put it in a waste bin outside wow. the hotel grounds. And then what, sew the pillow back up? I only made a small incision, you see. This is really creepy. And it took me ages to pull all the innards out. And did you do it to everyone's pillow or just yours? I was the only one that had that big a problem. So everyone else was able to live with it? Yeah. But you went full crazy? Yeah. But I was glad I did it, and then I I was able to sleep for the rest of the time. So, Sam, what was your suggestion, Sam? I would have folded up a towel and used a towel... You would have used a towel. I te- did you? Were you not listening when I said I stuffed T-shirts in a pillowcase? A towel is. Have you not done that before? A towels. A towels, no good. A Disney towel. Fluffy, no doubt. An ample size, I'm sure. No, no, no. It's too hard. And T-shirts are too hard. Give. It's not yeah. got the kind of give that Adam's come to expect. <laughs> living his life. Yeah. His memory foam. He wants a pillow to mould precisely to his head. Well, the thing is that when we we stayed at the Double Tree Inn at Heathrow the oh, night that's before a good inn, flying actually. out to Lisbon to do this show, and they had amazing pillows that were this. It was like sort of crazy memory foam or something. I don't know what it was. It was like clouds. Nicola, the director, has lost her voice, so it sounds as if she's just very twee. <laughs> I'm going to pass. She's actually got a medical condition. <laughs> um, Sorry, but it was like clouds, exactly. And I loved them so much, and I was so—I was like, oh my god, I found the perfect pillow <laughs> because I used to have the perfect pillow, and I used to take it with me everywhere. And in fact, I took it when we when I did Gadget Man, if you remember. Oh, you did take a pillow with I you. I brought the pillow. Yeah, and uh, I remember if, that very clearly. If you're listening to this and you're submental, then you could look up the clip on YouTube. Me and Richard on a train, yeah, and me with my pillow that I used to take everywhere. But then one one time we went to Centre Parks, and that was your pillow. Is that? Do you still use that pillow now? Oh, no, because I went to Centre Parks and I left it there. Oh. Yeah, you're supposed to change it every six months. You're supposed to change your pillow every, every six, six months. months. Yeah, sweat and dead skin. Are you? Who are you, Liberace? Every <laughs> six months. I, I mean, I don't. What follow, do you do? I don't follow these rules, but these are the rules. I don't so follow those rules. Well, I'm an outlier. An inner case. <laughs> um, this yeah, sounds like yeah, your death scene. I've got two, two. Um, yeah, two pillowcases. Yeah. That's okay, isn't it? No, that's good. Yeah. Oh, it's... Uh, What's um, Don Corleone saying? Ray and... <laughs> I can't understand. Black, black and white stripes. Lying in the orange grove. <laughs> the actual pillow. Yes. It's... Yeah, it's stripy. Is it? Yeah. <clears throat> it's old school. It's a feather downy one. Sweaty. Sweaty. So what are you doing with these old pillows you're discarding every... Yeah, it's a bit off-colour, yeah. So Get rid of it. Are you chucking pillows every... Oh. I'm not chucking. I'm, I'm probably I'm 18 months, I'd say. I've 18 months. And what oh, do you yeah. do? You just bin it. You just bin the pillow. Yeah. That's so decadent. I know. I know. 
I mean, I've got pillows from when I was a child. <laughs> no. Yeah. Everyone's getting rid of their pillows in this van. And I, I know. know you're supposed this to... This is ro- TV money. Yeah. <laughs> they use it once, throw it out the window. You're supposed to get rid of your mattress after 10 years, right? No way. But I, I, we still have the same mattress. Turn the mattress. Yeah, we've turned it many, many times. How many? How often do you turn your mattress? Uh, once a year we turn once it. Once a year, that's a good day, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> mattress day. Do you do it in a ceremonial way, all the children with the incense we and chanting? We all get together, yeah. Flip, well, New bit, Year's Day bit, we do it. Flip, flip, <laughs> Yeah. And then you, oh, you, hey, look at that stain. Remember? Is it like the, <laughs> like the Wicker Man? Yeah. That was a hell of a night. Surrounded yeah. by burning pillows. Oh, all the good times, all the memories there, etched onto the mattress. But I, I was so tempted to, no, but I left my favourite pillow at Centre Parks. Right. And it was, and I phoned them up immediately and said listen I think I've left my favorite pillow there was uh, it not labeled no it just looked like you don't label your pillow. pillows I should do now from now on I'm gonna have a that's the first thing a mono- I do exactly. as soon as I'm gonna I buy have a monogrammed them. pillowcase have you heard that before about having to rotate your pillows I didn't know you had to get rid of them every six months I I guess thinking about it because it, it breaking put... in a new pillow is really difficult I've never I've had that thought. Do you not find that they smell weird? Like, especially mm. goose down. I think it's been so long since I've had or a duck. new pillow that I can't even recall the sensation. I mean, I, I would live like a Unabomber, but for the civilising influence of my wife. Yeah. I found that the last few pillows... I'd still be sleeping in Danger Mouse. Do you think? I mean, Mouse. right up EJ's. until my late 20s. Yeah. It was still, yeah, Thundercats, duvet spreads. I mean, this is all right, isn't it? What's that? What's the problem? I still like them. You can't, at our age, have probably themed duvet sets people, anymore. I'm sure Can people you? do, yeah. I would say that several... It's a tough conversation, though. I would. Do you ever watch Gogglebox? No. Is well, it good? there's a couple of families in there, especially the big German guy. And he sits there sucking on his vape. Right. He and his wife are clearly into sort of uh, dark metal, whatever the I phrase see. is. Dark matter. So he sits there watching, and then when something outrageous happens, he'll just go, "No fucking way! Don't fucking believe it! Oh Jesus Christ!" Anyway, right. I reckon that they've probably got um... Paddington Bear duvet. <laughs> Or at the very least, Pantera duvet covers. Okay, yes. That conversation about rotating the pillows made me think of a time that I was ridiculed on the radio when I admitted that me and my wife shared a toothbrush. You were ridiculed for that? Yeah. There was, that seems unfair. There was a, a wave of people um, getting in touch and saying, you're disgusting, Ugh, you're a freak, of course you don't share a toothbrush. It's very, you know, people getting really heated, like, that is dangerous, that is very <laughs> dangerous. Wow. Because you are communicating infectious diseases all around your family home. I see. Well. I just thought, well, but when, you know, there's a lot of other intimate contact that's going on. Sure. In an unregulated way as well. Well, I mean, my only question with that would be efficiency. Yeah. I guess you can't brush your teeth at the same time. Um, but other than that, saw like a bird <laughs> with your one toothbrush. I think it's 
I think it's a badge of closeness. Exactly. With you and your wife, and I applaud it. Thanks. I certainly wouldn't ring in to pillory you. No, that's the way. People love an opportunity for some pillorying these days. Yeah. Hey, there are moments in everybody's life. Some are big and some are small moments. I have done the selection of the big moments from my mind. Now I'm going to share them with you all. Moments, big moments. moments. I do remember completing a, a sticker album, a, a football sticker album, when I was 11. And I was so... I was the first person in the class to complete the sticker album. Panini, was Panini, it? Panini. I'd made a series of excellent Are they called swaps. Panini? I think they were called Paninis. Yeah. They were toasted slightly. Yeah. And I finished the chart... And I was so pleased that I had a spontaneous nosebleed. Did I you thought, really? This is a moment. <laughs> did this, you seriously start getting your nosebleed? Yeah. Because you were so jazzed. And someone said, what's going on? <laughs> Why is there blood coming from your nose? <laughs> Stick a chart. Complete. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you? I think I was 11, or maybe 10. Okay. Summer, birthday. It was final year of primary school. Ah. Uh, you know, that's when life makes a little bit of sense, isn't it, when things like that happen? I remember s- swapping a stack of stickers almost as high as my arm for a single last sticker. Yeah. But suddenly all of these things were meaningless once the chart was finished. And wow. I didn't want any of this stuff. Yeah. It's worthless. Good yeah. for you. I think the, the world is divided into people who finish their sticker charts and people like me who, Did just in a very dilettante-ish way, dabble. Dabble. And, and then think, nah. No, once I was on that ride, I had to complete. What about in your professional life? Have you had... Nothing to rival that. Nothing's been as good as the moment of completing the sticker chart. Yeah. You met Woody Allen, though, right? I did meet Woody Allen. That was was quite exciting. I was oddly dressed exactly like him. Yeah. Cord trousers, sports jacket, (laughs) check shirt. Under what circumstances did you meet him? He was filming Cassandra's Dream oh. which Sally Hawkins was in yeah. and he so was doing I think, that in the UK yes yeah. and so I think she invited me to come but clearly they'd been warned at the level of my Woody Allen fandom yeah. when I went onto the set everyone seemed to go oh you're the you're the right you're the Woody Allen Especially as you were dressed exactly like Strange person, <laughs> yes. And Colin Farrell and um, Ewan McGregor were there. Oh, yeah. Who were very nice and polite, but I could not concentrate at all on them. I go, OK, sure, yeah. Where's Woody? So did you actually have a, a little conversation a with conversation. Him? What did you talk about? I talked about um, Sven Niekvist a little bit, Ingmar Bergman's cinematographer. Uh-huh. There was quite a lot of... Um, stuttering yeah he said you're welcome to stay and watch and at the end we stayed quite a while to watch you can go now um, in quite a funny way yeah um, and he shook hands there was no germophobic right okay because that's the story I've heard yeah. about him yeah that was all fine seemed very pleasant and yeah non that's great. So you didn't, you didn't come away thinking, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. It wasn't a crushing experience. It was perfectly pleasant. <laughs> and, yeah. 
and he seemed happy to talk about Sven Lickfist. Yeah. Had yeah. he seen any of your work? He wouldn't shut up about it. He was, I mean, obsessive is too strong. No, I'd hope not. Do you get to keep the gadgets on you, Gadget Man? That's not a good impression. Yeah. Can you do a good Woody Allen impression? Oh, no. It, it just involves touching your glasses a lot. Yeah. It's strange meeting people who you're very familiar with. Yes. Because you feel you're in the middle of a conversation and they're at the start of possibly wanting to avoid one. <laughs> Whereas you're going, hey, remember that time I saw you on the... Ah, oh, and that other thing you did. And especially with Woody Allen, who can be reduced to a simple line drawing when you recognise him. What was the first Woody Allen film you saw? That made an impression. Well, that made an impression. it actually was Another Woman, which is a strange one to start with. Oh, I don't think I've seen that one. Yes, well, my friend Ben Ramster, his parents were both um, psychiatrists, and so they really liked Woody Allen, they liked that one, and I remember watching that, and, and so I started with the serious ones, that in September, maybe. Gosh, haven't seen that either. And then watched the and went oh he's quite funny as well so yes it was a strange way round and then the stand up CD which I think is the best stand up album what's your favourite routine on there oh crumb I mean it's it is there isn't anything bad on that stand up CD I can't oh is there just the one I, I do like it when <laughs> he they're all running through the street They've all been, they've all fallen asleep and they all are hypnotised and they're running down the street um, together and they decide to work as one truck. Oh, yeah. That is just as such, he really does do incredible jokes. But, you know, I cheated on my metaphysics paper. I looked within the soul of the boy next to me. Yeah, that's great. I mean, these are amazing jokes. Amazing jokes with an amazing character. Mm. It's rare that there are both. And that that character can do surreal jokes and jokes about being in the real world and they're completely fluid and it's extraordinary. Hello, Adam Buxton here. I'm in my nutty room, just setting the scene for the last couple of uh, bits of conversation with myself and Richard. These took place on the plane back from Lisbon to the UK after four very enjoyable days of filming. And the first conversation that we had on the plane was about uh, the subject of television presenters. And this is what was said in that important Exchange. Do you think Vernon Kay, if pushed, could unpack his entire methodology? Would there be a methodology? Yeah. Would he say, sometimes, you know, I I know when to push, I know when to back off. Of I know course. To, or will, How could you doubt that? I don't know. I wonder whether... I, I'd, like to, I'd like to say that I think Vernon would probably be very modest about what is undeniably a considerable skill set and I think he would say you know I just feel it or I rely on oh, right, okay. my I, I think he would downplay it well, I, I wonder whether you he might would... be right but I bet you there are presenters I mean go on 
there is obviously I hate the way I said go on there as if somehow I was granting you go on you're very welcome yeah there you go thanks very much it's your floor it's your floor there is obviously a skill to it right there's such a thing as a good presenter and a bad presenter and uh, there are some people who are really good at it and some people yes. who aren't so good who's your top five oh man well the thing is that the problem is that it's a bit of a thankless task because yeah. if you're really good at it, it it's sort of invisible and no one ever really gives you any props tell me about it the Dermot oh, the Dermot the Dermots the Dermots I think Anton Deck are pretty great talk to me I asked them to be on this podcast and they said no they're the Daniel Day Lewis of presenting I think they they're so in character yeah you think it's them but it's not them you don't reckon Secret of course, they've got to keep some Anton Deck back for themselves and for their for those dear to them. Yeah, they make it look like it's just breathing, but it's not just breathing. No, well, this is probably exactly why they didn't want to be on the podcast because they knew the buckles would absolutely strip all this away. They don't show this one legs, sure. They're really good, man. They're hugely likable, they are. They create a comfortable atmosphere. I have zero beef with them, right. Nothing. Who's your favourite or one of them? Well, I like Kenneth Clark. The things I like about him, it's just empire. It's true empire. Yep. I like how squinty he looks. He just looks as if the sun is barreling into his eyes. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like he hasn't had a drink of water for four days. He's always... Is he clicky? To, he's very clicky in a wonderful way. Oh. There's your tea. Thank you very much. Great. Do you, do you want to pause while you do your tea? No, it's fine. I'll okay. just uh, back up and move on. Okay. Kevin McLeod. For me, I've never tired of listening to Kevin McLeod. Anything McLeod is involved with is a joy. I love him. I really do. My wife and I... <laughs> I don't think it would be to overstate it. Adore him. Yeah. I love the sound of his voice it's so deep do you so sit there deep. and watch Grand Designs and, yes. and comment on great things about him that yes. you love yeah. we go that was a great sum up he knows where the tension is but he's not going to exploit it yep. he can ask about money in a way that doesn't seem gauche uh-huh. he cares he's always looking to see sometimes it's not gone well we know it's not gone well everyone knows it's gone not gone well but McLeod will say the things that he likes about it yeah he'll say yes it's a difficult space but what they've done to it is very brave <laughs> I, I, I I think I genuinely think he's a force for good yeah sure um, Mel and Sue Mel and Sue yeah I think they're brilliant they're really funny I like them um yeah, they've come into their own. I like them more now than I used to back in the day, but that's possibly because we felt competitive with them, me and Joe. Right. Because they yes. had light lunch and they were kind of mainstream. And Oh, I see, yes. Grills? Grills is a ludicrous proposition, isn't he? I mean, I did watch Survivors or whatever it was, The Island or... I haven't seen that. Well, I hadn't seen it, but then my wife... My wife... I, I was suggesting watching um, a oh, movie the, or something. Okay. And she said, "Oh God, no! I don't want to watch a movie. Let's can we watch The Island?" I see. And I really didn't want to watch it, but I thought here's a good opportunity for me to be nice and not be 
a real prick and sulk. Okay. And so I said, yeah, okay. <laughs> like that. In a totally non-passive-aggressive way. I really liked how cheerful your voice became there. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's yeah, great. Okay. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. Good and idea. Like, do, you, do you want to watch it? I was like, no, I mean, no. No, but let's watch it. Oh, if you I can't enjoy it now. Now that I know that you don't want to watch it, I can't enjoy it. No, 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 that's okay. I'm inter- it looks interesting. Oh, great. No, it it's gone. In- no, no, we'll just watch what no, you no, want to hey, watch. No, hey, we'll watch what you oh, want to watch. Come on. Fine. No, no, actually, I'm tired. I want to watch it. No, I'm tired. I'm actually, I'm actually tired. Let's I'll, watch it. I'm happy watch just it. to read. What, I'm happy I want to watch the island. I'm happy just to read. Look at it. It's my favourite programme. It's got Bear grills. Look, the guy's just fallen off the cliff. He could have broken his back. What's wrong with you? You're cold. Please. Go to bed then. I just want to rest, okay? No, that's not how it went. Mm-hmm. It was way cheerier than that. Okay. In the past, I would have, I would have. You been would a... have really made her pay for that. Not With what? really. Not massively. Well, like fines. Just some low-level sulking. Okay. Or maybe I would have said, "Hey, you watch this. I'm going to go and just stand outside." Okay. Or I'm going to do some work or something. You know? It's fine. I'm just going to lie on the floor on a ball. I would have stretched and gone. I think I get, or maybe gone to bed. I think I get to bed. Okay. Uh, you know, but I didn't do that. Gosh, Instead, the, we watched Grills. The psychodrama is just right. it's intense. Grills. Grills. This is an advert for Squarespace. Every time I visit your website, I see success. Yes, success. The way that you look at the world makes the world want to say yes. It looks very professional. I love browsing your videos and pics, and I don't want to stop. And I'd like to access your members area. And spend in your shop. These are the kinds of comments people will say about your website if you build it with Squarespace. Just visit squarespace.com slash Buxton for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, because you will want to launch, use the offer code Buxton to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So put the smile of success on your face with Squarespace. Yes. Hey, so we had about half an hour left of our flight back to uh, the UK and Richard and I started talking about Woody Allen again. And uh, that's kind of a a difficult area, obviously. But... Um, we were focusing mainly on the how difficult it is to differentiate between an artist who may have behaved in a way that uh, pretty much everyone would consider unacceptable and the work that that artist creates. So we already heard that Richard's a big fan of Woody Allen's work. But as most people, I think, are aware, 
uh, Woody Allen was accused of molesting his daughter when she was seven. And the case was dropped in 1993 after several investigations proved inconclusive. But then Woody Allen's daughter in 2014 repeated those allegations on a New York Times blog and the whole case was brought very much back into the forefront of extremely passionate public debate. And I was interested to hear from Richard how he rationalises the problems of being a Woody Allen fan in a world that seems more and more to demand that we stand very firmly on one side or the other of any issue, no matter how complex or how impossible it may be for those outside of that controversial case to know the real truth. And we didn't even attempt to discuss the specifics of the Woody Allen case. But even talking about the quandaries thrown up in its wake made us feel as though we were stepping into a minefield somewhat. And neither of us is particularly skilled at nor relishes the prospect of having arguments about this kind of thing on social media. And so you may think, well, don't talk about it on the podcast then. But I think that it, I, I want to talk about these things. I think it's interesting and important in a way. Um, and I didn't actually say that much in this conversation. It was mainly Richard telling me how he feels about it, which I found very interesting. So this is what he had to say. Before we were talking about Woody Allen. Yes. And when we concluded our conversation, you said... I feel as if I need to sort of add some kind of caveat. Well, yes, it's interesting. You originally said to me when you were talking about doing this podcast whether it could be on the subject of the difficulty of being a Woody Allen fan. Right. And is it something you could even particularly discuss? And it's a very difficult situation I suppose because I guess it calls into question the idea of what necessary overlap is there between someone's life and what their work is are they necessarily intertwined can you enjoy work produced by someone whose actions you may not approve of what's the link what's the I remember when trial by media was used as a phrase to disparage a, a certain kind of process. You wonder, was something as sensitive as the allegations in the Woody Allen case, how on earth, as a person outside of it, could you know what happened? It's a, I suppose, what do you do as a citizen? And there's a necessary component about it, which is a, a, a public figure is going through a court case and it's of intense interest yeah. to everyone. And then there's another side to it where you go, do we trust the court to weigh the evidence of these matters fairly and accurately? And is there an inbuilt bias or is there an inbuilt tendency for there to be miscarriages of justice when rich or powerful people miscarriages in favour of the accused. in favour of the powerful person yeah. and so I think there's probably a suspicion that he's which is, away which is often justified it seems well I guess it seemed that way with OJ didn't it yeah that you have a a figure who because of their wealth because of their power because of their access perhaps to better legal counsel 
may get away with things that someone without their resources they're actually weighing in on this topic she's saying um, she's saying you're sick yeah. and um, and you are insensitive right as soon as we're recording this it's got a different feeling to the conversation we will have because I feel you know me and will forgive my lack of rigour forgive my uncertainties and my contradictory logic that you're going to seek to retrieve from what I say something of sense and I, I this feel... This is if the conversation wasn't being yes. recorded. Right. No, I don't think that changes now that it's been recorded from your perspective but I sort of feel aware that as soon as you go on record talking about something do you have a kind of responsibility to make sure, one, that you're accountable for what you say, and two, that what you're saying is far less speculative than you might allow yourself in a conversation with a friend. So, you know, I started watching Woody Allen films when I was a teenager. I remember being a Woody Allen fan when this whole thing happened. There being two stages seemingly to it, like the Sun Yi thing, which is that alone is an incredibly incendiary situation. Yeah. What do I do? Do I go, I don't approve of how Woody Allen conducted that. I can't enjoy his films anymore. Now that, I think, could be a legitimate response. But if someone else continues to enjoy his films, should I hector that person and say, you can't watch what that person does because they're a bad person or I'm not sure I really believe in well, the idea a, of good or bad people right. I feel that everyone you know it's like that Goethe thing where he said I cannot conceive of a crime that I myself could not have committed and I suppose compassion has no value unless it's extended to everyone uh-huh. it can't be something that's only extended to some people by its nature I think the thing that happens everyone is a capable of great evil I think everyone is yes absolutely I guess the thing that happens now when these subjects are talked about is that people feel you have to make a uh, take sides you have to take sides and you have to make a clear easily digestible statement yeah. about a serious subject when it's something like this, the allegations against Woody Allen, you have to consider all the all the people going through something similar mm. and the victims of similar kinds of situations yes. whose voices aren't being heard. Yep. And then suddenly that case with Woody Allen becomes emblematic of all those others and it and mm-hmm. it becomes fused with something different. And so it's then impossible to talk about the facts of the Woody Allen case in isolation it's very hard there's a really great George Saunders story called um, A Thought Experiment Uh and it's done metaphorically but it's sort of in his non-fiction collection The Brain Dead Megaphone which is another brilliant article on media and just how the fact that a prime component of 
media is to sell itself does not necessarily mean it can't contain truthful things but that is unignorable you know the there are many terrible things happening that aren't being reported there is an overlap here with someone who people want to know about uh-huh. and that is a factor that is unignorable in it yeah. but in this other story the thought experiment it's an urge towards understanding and wouldn't it be more interesting rather than having so many things I guess on the internet which seek to immediately condemn and to judge and to categorise to understand and complicate things but that isn't very often the case I find Right. and I, I tend to like people who say I don't know I'm not sure, and the reality is... Wishy-washy. 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 But, you know, we don't know, do we? No, of course we we don't know. We obviously don't know. And I don't know... Can you listen to Lead Belly? Because of the kind of person that he was. Yeah. And Chuck Berry. Do you like Caravaggio? And, uh... I don't know. You know, Philip Larkin. And also, what did he represent anyway what is he exactly meant to embody Woody Allen we're talking about now yeah right like for example I was watching a rerun of Sesame Street and um, that he directed that he directed and and anyway Bill Cosby came on oh yeah and you go oh, oh. what is this meanwhile my daughter's happily watching it What's occurring in that situation is relatively complex. I'm going, it seems pretty likely that Bill Cosby has assaulted in a grievous, awful way a number of women. And yet there's this thing occurring here where he is a person, he's a human. And he is instantly entertaining... Who knows nothing of this? Right. That's a strange situation, a very dissonant situation. Would it be more comfortable to say, no, he's completely excommunicated, everything that he's produced should be burnt, destroyed, I mean, that's what happened with Savile, though, isn't it? Yeah. Savile, there's a process of redacting Savile has been fairly thorough. But what does it undo? You're trying to uh, reduce the likelihood of that offence of seeing him and being reminded of what he did and, and having to struggle with that with that yeah. complicated set of feelings. I mean, it's, more, it's less difficult with Savile because it's not like... Yes, of course. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like we've been robbed of a... Um, uh, but obviously, work, but. someone who encounters... In the future, some work of Jimmy Savile, knowing nothing of what he did, and who manages to be entertained by it, is probably not a participant in a crime scene. Uh-huh. It's, it's very complex. I don't know what the call for a boycott is precisely to do with. Who are you talking about? With, now? with say, Woody Allen. Right. Well, I guess. 
for Woody Allen, people would say, okay, here's a good place to start. Let's not trumpet his genius. Why not? It may be the awful thing that, I don't know. I mean, it, to me, it's an, it's, it's almost impossible to have a conversation about it because there are real people involved who are living out the consequences of whatever happened very publicly and very painfully. And the idea of glibly or idly speculating about it seems monstrous on record in a certain way because there's always a kind of interest in public trials which seems to me awful like what business is it of ours Paul McCartney's divorce from Heather Mills this is none of my business whatsoever so on that level it seems how can we speculate about it there's another level which is do we in any way trust the legal process to sort this out at all if the answer is no is there an argument for saying we need to look at the legal system which is clearly consistently miscarrying cases like this that there's, there's an inherent problem now what do you do on the flip side of it that means that there is no possible way ever for someone to clear their name mm -hmm. there must be cases where an accusation is false that must exist if we are sort of saying there is no way you can ever trust the legal system to actually determine what has happened then anyone who is accused of something it's as good as they've done it aside from they may escape punishment but in terms of the notion that they did do that that's, that will never be eradicated no matter what occurred and then there's another part of it which is can people be separated from what they do can uh, well let's take the idea I don't, don't why am I saying we but take the idea of good people and bad people does that even exist are there some people who just are doing who are inherently good are there people who are inherently evil what do we do with evil people are they like is there a good people club and then a bad person club and then we can't have anything from the bad person club aren't we all culpable for something going wrong yeah I mean do we not share culpability and there's this awful idea that somehow culpability lies without us and that feels to me terrifying the kind of awful certainty of people feeling that oh over there are some terrible people and we're the good people pointing out the terrible people now of course there's still crime and there are terrible things that are done and I do think very often there has to be punishment but I don't know there's a component of awful smugness I think that sometimes exists in the, the accusation of people not involved whatsoever. It doesn't feel like they really want to get to the bottom of an incredibly complex situation. It feels like they just want to say someone's an arsehole. Right. And that's kind of, and if you don't agree with them, you are also an arsehole. And that doesn't seem complex enough. And then the other thing that's interesting is, what do you 
how are your feelings about someone's work affected by who they are? How are your feelings about the album Nevermind are affected by Kurt Cobain having killed himself? Can you still enjoy it in the same way? Or that Lead Belly was a murderer? Or yeah. whatever, you know, can you still obtain joy? And is and can someone have failed utterly? Can someone have done something so terrible that it's almost unimaginable? And can they still Create produce joy? Beautiful, yeah. And I'd say the answer has to be yes. Well, clearly they have done, yeah. And and also, just time passing and distance enables us to um, enjoy work that people have made hundreds of years ago yeah. who were almost certainly low-quality human beings Yeah, in some cases. But also... But we don't worry about it because it's just not... Yes, there's a time factor. Yeah. Know. It's heartbreaking that you're... You know, it's so hard to enjoy things and to have an uncomplicated enthusiasm for things. Well, nowadays you're just almost dreading the moment when it turns out that your favourite this or that yes. has got a really seamy underbelly. Although in the way in a way that's the least of the one's problems in some ways. Yeah. You kinda of go the you know, if someone finds it harder to enjoy sleeper, that's that's so what in a certain way. Hey. I was like, hey, she hasn't done anything wrong. Hey, what's wrong with Louise Werner? <laughs> um what's she done? But it's oh crumbs you know I don't know what the hell am I doing wading in on this in a form that's going to be a twitter cluster cluster have things that have been said on this podcast been pulled out of context and uh, not so far as far as I'm aware except for me talking about women putting on makeup or well I talked about people putting on makeup, but I, I used see. as an example a woman putting on makeup. In okay, public. and I, I, I did find that quite offensive actually. Well, I mean, when I listened back to it, I could see how people would think right. that maybe I meant that, but I just assumed that it was so obvious I didn't. I thought, yeah. well, if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably heard other things I've said. You know that I wouldn't give a woman a hard time or anyone a hard time for doing something like that. Yeah, wouldn't you just read between the lines and like give me the benefit of the doubt? I think I'm often very defensive and worried about saying what I think because the you don't want to be misinterpreted. Well, it being on record inevitably alters it. Yeah. Like Abbas Kurustami said, "Why can't you get the feeling on camera that you get as soon as you say cut and everyone relaxes? There's something inherently skewed as soon as it's being recorded because I can't help." but have a part of my brain go this ought to make sense this ought to be like when someone cogent writes something and presents it for public consumption whereas what's interesting about these things and podcasts is that you you feel you're just having a conversation but in effect you're making a statement I think some people feel though that I mean the, the example of me talking about the makeup thing it's totally trivial, really. Yeah. You know, but I did feel defensive about it when people yeah. started criticising me. But I think maybe those people felt like 
I'd been busted and right. I was being defensive because actually yes, they saw they uh, saw the real you yeah and um, and maybe I needed to look again at some of my attitudes that I yeah. wasn't embarrassed about and that I freely expressed but maybe needed to be yes. changed and maybe that is and, and that I'm sure can be valuable yeah but crippling self-consciousness probably isn't very valuable no and also the yeah a kind of paralysis which is about trying to second guess possible objections possible objections that seems like politics yeah yeah and also probably people are listening to your podcast because you're funny and entertaining and they want to be entertained and they are and maybe they you know I don't know how funny this 20 minute bit is going to be I'll chop it right down to make you sound okay. quite clear okay that's good so there we go I hope you found that least interesting I did and I really appreciate Richard uh, being up for talking to me about so many things and being so eloquent and such good company and I can't thank him enough really and also the crew of Travel Man who put up with me um, you know just insisting on podcasting at every available opportunity in what must have been quite an irritating fashion especially as they were all trying to get a job done but they were very nice about it and uh, I really uh, had a great time so thanks very much to them and Richard thanks to you for downloading this podcast I always feel as if I should be reeling off a whole list of things that you can um, go and spend your money on to fund the podcast but uh, currently they are not in place Maybe if you're listening in the future, that will have changed. I mean, I really would like to one day have T-shirts and baseball caps and, uh, you know, jock straps and all the regular stuff. But uh, so far, haven't got that together. One day, one day. Well, still early days, though, isn't it? It's just number 25. Early days. And what else? Um, I suppose, uh, you know, if you're listening to these podcasts as they come out then you may be frustrated by the lack of regularity and, you know, like there's no specific day that they come out on and sometimes you wait a week and sometimes it's two or even longer. Um, And I appreciate that that must be very, very difficult and frustrating for you and I'm so sorry. Um, Sounds like I'm being sarcastic now. And I am half being sarcastic, but I also do appreciate that it must be kind of annoying. So I apologise, but, you know, it's it's because I mainly do this thing on my own and um, uh, that continues to be the case despite my best efforts. Having said that, I very much appreciate the help that I've been given by Seamus Murphy-Mitchell. Uh, thanks very much indeed, Seamus, for your notes and your input. And um, that's about it. Rosie! Rosie, come on! Rosie, come on, let's head back. Here she comes. You up for a flyby? Here comes the hairy bullet. 
Oh, you're coming to say hi. I thought you were just going to go straight past. Are you all right? Hey, don't wander away. How are you doing, famous dog? What's it like being a famous dog? Rosie. Okay. I mean, you used to be able to just speak to me. What's happened to that? Uh, well, I still can. I can still speak occasionally. All right, there you go. So why do you not just speak to me, then? Because uh, I don't know if you know, but I'm quite... I'm famous, and uh, I'm like a YouTube personality. You know, six million. All right, so it's a lot, but it's hardly Gangnam style. It's more than any of your videos have ever got. That is true. Um, listen, Rosie, don't let the fame go to your head, though. I wouldn't want you just to turn into a, a dick. OK, thanks. Good advice. I'm off to kill a squirrel and do a poo on the carpet of your office again. All right. Have a good one. Oh, well. Thanks very much indeed, listeners. Take care of yourselves and each other. And uh, I look forward to us being together again before too long. I love you. Bye!